Hello, you're listening to the Australian Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo and you can find us online at writerscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published and write with confidence. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. Our team is passionate about all things writing and in these podcasts, we'll be talking to best-selling authors on their craft. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hi, I'm Danielle Williams from the Australian Writers' Centre. Today I'm speaking to Helen Trinker about her biography of Australian writer Madeline Singer. Thanks for joining us, Helen. Pleasure. Tell us a bit about this book, Madeline. Well, this is a biography, as you said, and it really is the life of uh, a writer who's an Australian writer, uh, quite an underrated writer. Um, I know a lot of people probably have not heard of her, um, but I have put her story down. It's a story worth telling. It's, um, she died in 2006. Uh, she was born in 1941. She died quite young. She's a very contemporary writer, really. Um, but even in those um, five or six years since she died, I suppose her books have been, were out of print when, by the time she died, but uh, then they've been republished. And now my biography comes along and I hope that a whole lot of Australians will rediscover her. Mm. Um, so why now? And why Madeline? I read, I read Madeline St. John's book for the first time um, about two years ago. What happened was Text Publishing republished her books in 2009 and 2010. So I was sitting in my house one day, in, um, one Saturday morning at the end of 2010, and I read in my own newspaper, The Australian, a lovely review of one of Madeline's books and, um, by Peter Craven. And I thought he really, you know, sort of talked a lot about her writing style and, and how, what a great writer she was. And I thought I might be interested in that. So I looked at that book, absolutely loved it, um, stayed up all night reading it, and then thought, oh, she's kind of intriguing. Who is she? And I Googled her and discovered that far from being English, as I thought she might have been, um, she was Australian. She was an expat, basically. There's a little bit known about her. Um, she'd won... Well, she hadn't won, she'd been nominated for the Booker Prize in 1997. And the bare bones of her life were available, in a sense, uh, through her obituaries um, and a little bit of you know, biographical material. But, but it was quite intriguing because there were a lot of gaps. And mm. I thought, I might write a story for The Australian because I sometimes would write features or whatever. And I uh, started researching it a little bit and within a couple of weeks thought, no, I could actually do a biography of, of, uh, of her and that's where it started. Right. Why do you think Australia has neglected her? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not just Australia in a way. She was published in the UK and she's better known and she was a little bit better known in London when she was publishing in the 1990s. Look, I think what happened is she wrote four books. Um, they were all published uh, in, in the 1990s. But by 1999, when her final book was published, she was very, very ill with emphysema. Mm. So effectively, she stopped writing. She struggled and wrote another book, which um, we've looked at since then, and her agents have looked at, and it's probably not really worth publishing. Um, but she um, sort of dropped out of sight, I suppose, in the 2000s. And it's not surprising that she did. She didn't have a big uh, public profile when she was a writer. 
and um, she'd had a small, a devoted um, little coterie of people reading her, I suppose. And as far, as far as Australia's concerned, I mean, she really left Australia in 1965 and never came back. Um, we reclaimed her, we mm. recolonised her a little bit in 1997 when she was shortlisted for the Booker. But even so, um, you know, she was not a major figure. I think what's interesting about her, though, is she was part of a group of people who went to the UK. She went to the US first and then to the UK in uh, the 60s. You know, that amazing sort of cohort. Mm. You know, Clive James, Bruce Beresford, um, Richard Neville, um, lots and lots of people, her contemporaries. I feel as if everyone who went in the 1960s was born in 1941, like Madeleine yeah. was, and, you know, they're in their very mid-20s mid by the time they left. So she was, she was part of a very um, incredibly important group culturally. She was, a, I guess, a, during her lifetime, was a quite a small player in that group. Surprisingly, in a way, her contribution could actually be more profound because I think you can't take away four novels. You know, you can forget commentary sometimes. You know, you can forget the incredible, uh, the, the excellent uh, things that were done by people like Richard Neville with Oz magazine and things yes. like that. I'm not suggesting they are going to fade. But in a funny way, a n novel you know, has a kind of longevity. And she really was the only... Australian of that generation who wrote fiction. Clive James did write some fiction, but I, don't, I think he'd be the last person to claim that's his you know, major contribution, mm. cultural contribution. So yeah, yeah. it was quite interesting. So how did you go about researching this? Because obviously Madeline died in 2006. Uh, a lot of her family had already passed away. How did you bring together all of this information and all of these interviews and, and get it into that condensed form? Well, it, it was quite challenging. The first challenge was that I had been a journalist for a long time, you know, um, decades and decades, but I've never written a biography before. And um, I had an idea about how to write books because I'd co-authored a couple of books before, so I knew about the process, which was A, start, and mm. B, keep going, and C, eventually it's finished. But um, with Madeleine, it was interesting because I started announcing to my friends and colleagues that I was going to write this biography and some of them just immediately said where are the papers you know where are her diaries where's the archive where, what material are you going to use and I thought oh yeah that's right there, there isn't any because she'd really died um, giving the impression that she'd torn up all her papers in the end it turned out she had kept some but oh. I didn't, we didn't know where those were so I decided that I had to talk to her contemporaries so I started with the people who'd bobbed up at times you know um, in the press as contemporaries of her at university, so I spoke to Bruce Beresford, he suggested a few other people, I spoke to a couple of other people, and suddenly I had a little group of people living in Sydney, um, wonderful women mainly who'd been at university with her, who were all about 70, <laughs> almost 71, great memories, uh, I talked to them a lot, some of them had some correspondence, gradually the you know, network goes out, but it took quite a lot, and... Um, there were lots of there was quite a lot of detective work. I actually loved it because it was a tremendous research, primary research activity, and I just bored my friends and family witless by every time I'd see them, I'd say, "Well, guess what? I found out. You know, you'll never guess. I found out something else." And um, of course, uh, people have um, letters, uh, and gradually these emerged. Um, and when you read a letter from someone, it's it mentions other people, you can usually find them on the internet, you know, you ring them up, they're in the States, they won't talk to you, they will talk to you, and on it goes. And of course, 
There are a few key people who I needed to talk to, her former husband. She was married only for um, three or four years, really, in the 60s. Mm. He was in Sydney, and eventually he agreed to talk to me. Um, her sister, she has a younger sister um, who's about three years younger than Madeline, mm. and Colette, Sinjin Lippincott, and I, she eventually agreed to talk to me. They were key people. Yeah. And um, the biggest uh, help, I suppose, or one of the really large um, helps, was the discovery of some tapes that Madeline had made because all of her friends and her literary agents said to me in early 2011 when I began... You know, of course, she would absolutely hate to be having this autobiography done, this biography done, because she was so private, you know, she was reclusive. I said, yes, I know it's terrible, you know, blah, blah. And then I discovered, of course, that she had um, specifically made about nine hours of tape in 2004 uh, about her early life. Um, so what had happened was she called a friend of hers who lived in America, Judith McHugh, over to London and said, you know, I'm going to I'm going to dictate this material to you. And Judith was an old friend and she sort of knew the stories, but she went. And so Judith had those tapes. Oh. And the precise, the specific um, idea of Madeline's was that Judith would write the, the biography. Right. And when I discovered the tapes and spoke to Judith, um, she eventually gave me access to them and sort of she didn't really want to do a biography herself. So, so those tapes must have helped you build a picture of what she was like as a person mm. as well um, because I mean you do quite matter of factly present her as a difficult person mm. to live with she had an awful relationship with her father how do you write a, some, about somebody like that and maintain enough distance to prevent any judgement mm. it was very interesting because I started off I think being very enthusiastic about her and remained enthusiastic so I was, it wasn't hard for me to sort of like her, but I know a lot of people who've read the books and um, whenever I talked about it to friends, they said, oh, I don't really think we like Madeline very much. Yeah. And I said, well, no, she was complex, but she was, you know, don't write her off. Um, I didn't find it, it too hard. That The hardest thing I found, to be honest, was to um, juggle her view of reality against... I suppose, the view of reality that other people who defended Ted um, had, because obviously Ted died in 1994. He wasn't there to defend himself. Mm. I, I sort of felt not so much I needed to defend him, but I needed to try to see, you know, are her judgments, are the comments that she makes on the tapes, you know, reasonable, I suppose. But look, it's difficult because they were reasonable to her. You know, I, I don't... I think it's very, very hard um, when you have someone who says, this was my reality, my father abandoned me emotionally well I look at it and think could that be true you know he wasn't a bad man he's a man of high principle they had a dreadful time because her mother had suicided so yeah it was I think the only way that you could do it is probably the way that I did do it which was to in a sense set it out mm. but of course you're selecting I mean I, I can't run the, all the tapes you know there were there were things that were in there um, and other things that I had to jettison so you know it's, it, I, I found it a very interesting experience and quite a um, quite a challenging one particularly early on because when I first heard the tapes I thought oh you know she's these are too extreme you know right. um, but um, one of the things that was good was to listen to Colette's version of reality as well when I finally spoke to her about 18 months later and 
Colette, in a sense, confirmed, I suppose, you know, again, she was three years younger, she was a little girl when all this was happening, but she confirmed many of the, um, many of the comments, I suppose, about uh, Ted. Uh, so, I mean, you mentioned that you hadn't really heard about Madeline yourself until you read that first book a few years ago. Um, what do you hope Australian readers will gain from knowing more about her and being introduced to her work? I think, um, well, at the basic level, I suppose, it's reading these four books that mm. I really like. Um, I think what's interesting is she actually has quite a lot of things to say, but she says them in a way that's quite deceptively simple. And um, I'll talk about the first book first, um, uh, with The Women in Black. That's the only book that she wrote set in Australia. So... What I found fascinating was she went to London, she had a lot of struggles in her 20s and 30s with um, depression, really, and she lived, she lived uh, in a bit of poverty. Mm. She lived um, in a, a council housing and things like that, and she had to have little jobs. I mean, she was a very, very bright, sparkling woman, and she could have had a big career, but it wasn't happening to her. She spent a lot of time trying to write a biography of... Um, a woman called Helena Blavatsky, who was um, founder of the Theosophical Society. That didn't work, and eventually she tore that up. But, so she turned to fiction when she was about 48 or 49, and she felt like she needed to do something or she wouldn't starve, you know, because she, was, she knew that the money that she'd had, the, you know, the welfare state in the UK was collapsing, all of those things. So anyway, she starts to write, and it came easily to her. I think perhaps because she was such a great observer... And she had a fantastic ear for language. So she, her dialogue is wonderful. So she wrote these books. And um, the first book, but anyhow, the point is that as soon as she starts writing, she's sort of turned her back on Australia years before, and yet she turns back to Australia. And her first novel is set in uh, Sydney in the 60s, and late 50s, early 60s, I suppose. It's the kind of life that she herself, the city that she herself experienced. Mm. And that's a lovely book because at one level um, it's very popular because there's a certain sense of nostalgia about it. It's set in a big department store. It's about it's a coming-of-age story about a young girl who goes to work in a big department store for the Christmas rush, you know, and, yeah. it, you know, it's lovely. But what's fascinating to me about that book is there's another whole layer of, of it which is about really Australia at this particular moment in history and a real turning point between the sort of, if, if you want to say, the white-bred Anglo-Saxon Australia and a more multicultural Australia. That word multicultural hadn't been invented yeah. in, uh, in 1960. Um, but it was one, it was, it, it's a book about the clash of cultures and yet about the, what each side can gain and learn from it. So it's a very hopeful book. But it's quite a um, it's quite a deep book, you know, and it's a it's an important um, you, you can if you want to read it in a quite a historical sense, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of context to it. So I think that's a book worth um, reading and worth remembering. Um, and then she had that out of the way; that was great. And then she wrote three novels, and they are novels set in the 1990s or late 80s, early 90s, whatever. In um, in London, in the Notting Hill area where she lived, not only in Notting Hill, but sort of inner London, professional, uh, people owning their own houses, people going to work in you know, journalism or lawyers, um, people with children, young children, and people who are striking trouble in their marriages, for example, or in their relationships. And it's about, um, it's about affairs, at some point, you know, one or two of them about affairs, one or two of them about broken relationships. 
So they're very tiny books in that sense. They're tiny little uh, pieces, really, of life and of um, relationships. But, you know, within them there are enormous... um, There's enormous sort of authenticity, I suppose, and truth about the way people operate. And I, I just think they're... Very, very readable. Bruce Beresford, who is a fan of hers, um, the film director, and also knew her at university, knew her later on, and is, in fact, her literary executive. But he said to me in a conversation not long ago um, how great those books are because he said you can read and reread them and there's always something there. And I thought that was that's absolutely right because I've read them many times now, obviously, for mm. the purposes of the biography. But when I do, I think, oh, that's, you know, that, they're very fresh. And it's partly her capacity to write um, very good dialogue and mm. to sort of reveal plot and characters through the dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Just on your um, history as a writer and also editor, you were founding editor of Boss magazine, you're a managing editor now at The Australian. Um, how are the challenges of editing big publications different to the challenges of, say, writing a biography? I think they are enormously different. And I'll tell you what I learned doing this biography was that 40 years of journalism actually doesn't prepare you particularly right. for the biography. It prepares you in the sense of, of knowing that um, where to get information and how to research and also a sort of certain doggedness and deadline, you know, um, commitment that is very sort of important. So I always knew that I'd get it finished. You know, I never had any doubt that I wouldn't do it. What it doesn't really prepare you for is the style of, of writing because when you're writing or editing any sort of even a long feature in a newspaper, it's a totally different exercise. You know, a biography and a book, I suppose, is slow um, revelation. You're telling a story. You actually don't sum it up very much in a course feature article because you do. So the style is quite different. I actually wanted to learn a lot from the process and I went into it thrilled that text publishing um, had agreed to publish it mainly for the reason that I felt their reputation as a, as a publishing house is one that they make something of a book, you know, they can actually turn books around into, you know, impo- you, know, to, to, you know, they're just very good at that mm. job and I felt and wanted um, to be edited. I thought I'm going to learn from this process of editing an idea. I had a great editor in... Um, Jane Pearson, and of course the editors in books come in quite late in the piece, so in a sense you're left to your own devices, and I found that quite challenging at times because I thought, am I on the right on the right track? You know, is this is this the way to go? And um, no, it's been a lovely experience. I just feel that I've learnt a great deal, and it is, um, you know, it's fascinating because a lot of journalists write books, and I think, and, and I had I had co-authored two books yeah. before, and. They were both quite different because they were they're non-fiction. One was about um, the big waterfront dispute in the, you know, of uh, 1997 and 98. That's mm. right. And yeah, uh, published in 2000. And another one was about um, it was came out of that, my work at Boss Magazine, which was really about work and management. Yeah. But both of those were quite different. They were more like journalism, um, and this is different again. So. Mm. Yeah. so how did you how did you fit this in? Did you have a routine that you stuck to with the researching and the writing every day? I had a big routine. I um, sort of used every, you know, spare moment outside of my job and I I can often work reasonably long hours but I still was quite committed to it so I'd come home at night and sit down for three or four hours at night, get up early in the morning, a lot of weekend work. Mm. Actually, just very quickly, a little story. Years ago I was at a journalism 
conference in the States, which was a conference about long-form journalism and writing of books. And I always remember an American journalist got up and he said, journalists always think that if they could just give up the day job and have enough time off, they'd write all these books. And he said, that's never going to happen because you can't, no one, none of us can really afford to, to do that. He said, you just have to use every moment. He said, don't think you need three hours to do any work. You know, you, you can use 20 minutes or half an hour and all these small amounts of time. And that's what I absolutely remember, I've always remembered that. And in a way, that's what I did. So if I had any time at all, I'd, I'd address an issue, like if I needed to send an email to someone, if I needed to follow up on something or make a phone call, I used at the time. So anyway, yeah. I'm not saying that one would want to do it all the time, but it was good for a couple of years. So having said that, do you think you'll do another one anytime soon? Um, yes, actually, I really would like to do another biography, to be honest. I, I think it's something that I can do. Um, I don't think I'm a writer of, um, you know, fiction, for example, and I don't think I'm a writer really of, you know, major, uh, you know, historical books. Mm. But I think in a in a biography, it's the best of both worlds because you get the person, you get history, and you get a moment. And I'm very interested in Australia, sort of, you know, since almost recent Australian history and recent Australians, um, because I think. Um, you know, 20th century, the last 50, 60, 70 years, there have been so many wonderful people and events, and we are allowed, we are able now, in a sense, to think of them historically. You know, so I'm very interested in recovering some of those ideas, but I don't know exactly who or what. <laughs> <laughs> Just one final question: What's your advice to people who are interested in writing biography? I think um, the advice is, in a sense, almost what I've said before about using the time available. And I, but I, I think you really do need to um, find a subject that you're interested in because a lot of people have suggested to me other people to do now and um, I often think, oh no, I'm, I don't think I'm that interested or I know too much about that person, often more well-known people, you know, sort of famous people, and you think, mm, would I sustain the interest because so much of their life is known? So for someone like me, the curiosity factor of finding out new material is good. And I think you do have to love, uh, or not love the person, but you know, be very, very interested in the person because at some point in the two or three or four years that you spend doing a biography, you're going to get heartily mm. sick of it. Yes. Okay. That's excellent advice. Thanks so much, Helen. Thank um, you. And good luck with the book. Thank you. You've been listening to the team from the Australian Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online at writerscentre.com.au and discover details about our courses, seminars and popular online learning programs where we help students from all over the world. I'm author of the book Power Stories, the eight stories you must tell to build an epic business. And you can find out more on my personal website, ValerieKoo.com. That's Valerie, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.